For those of you that do not know me, I am not the pastor of this church. And my mic is really hot. You need to turn me down. I speak a little louder than Tim does. However, two years ago on this very Sunday, though it was the 15th, we transitioned from my being the pastor here for 16 years to Tim and Angie and the family coming in. And um, so grateful for how God worked through that and is continuing to work. Um, I'm not texting anybody. I'm trying to get to my Bible. <laughs> Usually I preach with, you know, a Bible. But I discovered that the only ESV Bible I had was this big honking study Bible. And while that may be impressive, it's really hard to hold it and preach from it. So I'm going to preach from my phone this morning, and it may time out on me. And so if it does, and you see me trying to get things going up here, that's, that's what's going on. So bear with me. I am of the boomer generation. Um, I remember pre-computers, and I'm still learning to adapt with a lot of it. Okay, I, I digress. So... Two years ago, I preached my last sermon here, and about a month ago, Tim asked me to preach again. I said, sure, and in the meantime, took a three-week, 8,000-mile trip to Key West, Florida and back to help my son move, experience some of that extreme heat that you've been hearing about, and if you want it, just go over to the valley. I think I brought it back with me. Also, just kind of trivia, but not so much. 29 years ago today, my wife and I were honeymooning in Lahaina. And so what has happened there uh, has had an effect uh, on us and just praying for God's mercy and grace, the people there. Um, just reminds me again, we do not live in a safe world. There is no place on this planet that you can go where you are safe. The only safety you can find is in your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the only place on planet Earth right now. And even then, you know, I don't know why God does it, and I don't care for it, but he seems to be okay with letting us get in trouble, doesn't he? So, keeps us close to him. All right, pop quiz. Finish this statement. You shall love the Lord... Okay, you got it. I heard several different versions there, but you shall love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, strength, and heart, and you shall love your, love your neighbor as yourself. That was a little cleaner than, than the first one there. That's about relationship, isn't it? Love is about relationship. And when we strip everything away, what is left is relationship. I have been with a number of people at the end of their lives, and I have yet to meet a person that was more concerned about stuff. What they wanted was they wanted more time with the people that they, they love. My mom died in, in December. She was 101. And for a human side of it, she's one of the reasons I'm here, because of the prayers of a mom thank God for the prayers of a mom. But in her last days, 
First of all, she got mad because as soon as she decided it was time to die, the Lord didn't take her. <laughs> Took another few days. I remember an hour and a half after she announced, I'm dying, she said, this is taking too long. <laughs> that was my mom. But through those days, she just worshiped God. And what she worshiped God was for the people that God had put in her life. And she would be lying quietly, and then all of a sudden she'd just go, oh, thank you, God, for so-and-so. Or she would give us directions. You need to go tell this person this thing for her. It was all about the relationships in her life at the end. And so when all is stripped away, it's about relationships. And we all have them. Love the Lord your God. We all have a relationship with God. Every single person that lives has a relationship with God. The difference is in the kind and the quality. Some love them, some hate them, some are indifferent. Some are seeking to know him, some don't know him at all. But all of those things is a relationship. And then we have a relationship with, with every person. So many of them are so distant, it's, it's not even a conscious thing. But we have people around us, family and friends and church and school and all those different places where we have relationships. And our relationship that we have with God affects our relationship with people, and our relationship with people affects our relationship with God. And our relationships is really what defines us and shapes us. This idea that we can go off by ourselves and find ourselves really isn't true. It's a lie. We find ourselves in the midst of the people that we are in relationship with. So, what happens when somebody doesn't love the Lord their God with all their mind, heart, soul, and strength? Not rhetorical, what happens? They die? Well, <laughs> you guys are going, okay, what answer is he looking for? No. It sucks, yeah. And it affects their other relationships in a detrimental way. The same thing is when somebody loves the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, they have this capacity because of the love of God and the Holy Spirit in order to love others. Now, do we all do it well all the time? No, we don't. But hopefully we are getting better at it. So I'm saying all that to say that we're in a section of 2 Corinthians. It's, it, it's, a, it's a hard section. It's a challenging section. It, it, it should mess with you a little bit. But it's all about the relationship of Paul with his God and the Corinthians and the Corinthians with their God and, and, and with Paul and how things fell apart and now are being restored. So having said that, um, if you have a Bible, there's, there's one in the pew. I should have looked up the page, but it's 2 Corinthians. Kind of go to three quarters of the way through the Bible, and, and, and you'll be pretty close. Or here's a tip. Look at the table of contents, and it will give you the page number. It's, yeah, it's okay. Easy is okay. We don't want to make this hard. 
All right. So the passage I'm focusing on is, is 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 7, 1, but I'm going to read a couple of verses before it and part of a verse after it just to give us a context here. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting with verse 11. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as the children, widen your hearts also. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Make room in your hearts for us. Make room in your hearts for us. We opened our hearts to you, but you did not open your hearts to me. That is a relational problem that is going on between the Apostle Paul and his team and the Corinthian church. Now, from the book of Acts, we have some information about Paul in Corinth on his second missionary journey. He went there, and interestingly, it says that he spent a year and a half in Corinth. The writer of Acts, Luke, lets us know that Paul spent a year and a half in Corinth. That's very unusual for Paul. Paul's pattern in his missionary journeys was to come into a town, evangelize, disciple for a little bit, establish some leaders, and take off. Modern missionary approach is totally different than Paul's first century approach. To, to missionary, but he would come in in just a short time, evangelize, disciple, establish leaders, and leave. But not in Corinth. He stayed for a year and a half. We're not given a reason why other than, I have to say, the Holy Spirit was leading him. Remember uh, earlier in the same missionary journey, they were over in what's today Turkey, and they wanted to go down by Ephesus, and uh, the Holy Spirit said no, and wanted to go up to Bithynia, and the Holy Spirit said no, and they wound up in Troas, and then had that whole fun experience in the Philippian jail, and then got kicked out of Thessalonica, were blessed by the Bereans, and then he had a hard time in Athens with all of the idols and trying to reason, and he got into Corinth. Maybe he just, after all that journey, and he was just ready to sit still, but I, I think it's really the Spirit of God had him in Corinth for that period of time. So the Corinthians knew Paul. They knew him as an apostle. They knew him as, 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 as the preacher of the word of God, which they believed and they were saved. And yet, as we read 2 Corinthians time and time again, Paul seems to be trying to establish 
his credentials. And you'll see it again when we get into chapter 12. Paul also mentions a second visit and that he's planning to come for a third time. He also mentions a, a letter, a grievous letter, a painful letter that he wrote. And in the next chapter, chapter 7, it's going it's, it's to come out. So what's going on? Acts doesn't talk about this, but we have it in 2 Corinthians. Acts does tell that Paul went up to Macedonia from Ephesus and then came back down to Corinth, but we don't have all these other details. And so trying to sort it out. Now understand, this is like one side of a telephone conversation. Have you ever listened to one side of a telephone conversation and, and, and tried to figure out what was going on. Well, we have one side of the telephone conversation, but from things are said, this most likely, probably, maybe could have happened this way. So Paul went to Corinth the first time, spent a year and a half there. Then he went back to Antioch, to his home church, and then the third missionary journey into Ephesus, and, and all that. And while he's in Ephesus, he wrote a letter, they wrote a letter, he wrote another letter, which is 1 Corinthians, dealing with some problems. There was problems in the church. There were divisions. Their, their communion, it was just a debauchery. We're going to do communion today. Hopefully we do it better than the Corinthians. We're not using real wine, so the chance of getting drunk is very, very minimal. Unless the Lord performs a miracle, in which case, that's on him. But Paul sends this letter with Timothy. And in his absence, something happened, and Timothy sends back word that things have really gone bad. And apparently, based on some of the things in 2 Corinthians, what went on is these false teachers with Jewish backgrounds came in. See, there was this group of people that would follow Paul around. They were called Judaizers, circumcision party, and they believed that the Gentiles could be saved, but they had to become Jewish first. And so they went teaching that, and it's likely it's, it's some kind of type of group like that. The problem is the Corinthians are buying into it. And so Paul makes a visit that second visit to Corinth, and things just blow up. He, he faces such opposition. Now, Paul isn't afraid to back down from, isn't afraid of opposition. He doesn't back down very easily. But it is, it is so bad that he does retreat. Maybe, you know, there, you can, there's a saying, you can win the battle but lose the war. Maybe it was a situation like that. The fight was going to be so hard that the casualties was going to be too devastating, so he made a strategic retreat. Again, this is one side of a, 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 a phone conversation, so please, this is a bit of speculation. Please understand that. So he beats a retreat, probably back to Ephesus, where he writes what is 2 Corinthians and sends it with Titus. 
Now, meanwhile, in Acts, we find out what's happening in Ephesus. Actually, he was two years in Ephesus, so a little bit longer than with the Corinthians. But if you're familiar with the story, if not, go and, and, and read it. But in Acts, in Ephesus, so many people were getting saved that they were no longer worshiping the, the goddess Diana or Artemis, which was the main goddess of all the gods and, and goddesses. And there were these silversmiths who made little silver shrines and sold them for worshiping Artemis, and they were losing money. It's amazing how much sin is economically driven back in that day and in today. And so they create this riot and things kind of blow up. And, and I think maybe Paul, again, the spirit of God, probably leading him, he, he was ready to be done in, in Ephesus. And so he leaves Ephesus and in Acts, we see he goes up to Macedonia and then back down. But in 2 Corinthians, and, and spoiler alert, it's going to be next week in the next chapter, he went up to Macedonia waiting for to hear from Titus. What happened with this letter that he wrote to them? And just there's a lot of anxiety in the words that he uses, but Titus comes and says they repent. He's like, Whew. and so he writes, excuse me, I got wrong there. I said earlier he wrote 2 Corinthians. Now he writes 2 Corinthians. Some of you got that, and you were, you were very kind to me to, to, to let me get away with, with that mistake. So thank you for your grace. And so 2 Corinthians is a letter of reconciliation and restoration because their relationship had broken down. And here in these verses, we get the reason why the relationship broke down. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And the reason I stayed with the ESV is because the ESV says unequally yoked. Other versions, rightfully, say bound or agreement or partner or, or, or something like that. But the Greek word is unequally yoked. It comes out of the a passage in Leviticus where don't yoke two animals, two different animals together. Maybe if you want a modern illustration, I was trying to think of this and I was going to do it with some people, but I didn't want to hurt them. But you know what a three-legged race is? Okay, you're familiar with that. What happens in a three-legged race when each one wants to go their own direction? It's just crazy, silly, you know. America's Funniest Videos would be great if you could capture that. All right, I got a thumbs up uh, over there. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And then there are, there are five questions that expect a negative response five pairs in, in five words. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? By the way, Belial is the devil. That was a common term for the devil in that day. Um, it actually literally means worthless. It's a good name, worthless. Uh, what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? 
in this relationship with God. If we are going to love the Lord our God with all our mind, heart, soul, and strength, and then love our neighbors as ourselves, there is a separation required. Because before Christ, if our lives were right, there was no reason for Christ to come. But the reason Christ had to come was because our lives were not right with God and there was nothing we could do to make them right, but God made the way through Christ. That's, that's the gospel. But when we come to Christ, it's, it's not just saved from our sins, something taken away, but we are brought into a new relationship with God, the relationship that he created us to have. But it means that things in our past are not compatible with that. And for the Corinthians, there were things in the past that were not compatible with that. In fact, what we know about Corinth is it was the sex capital of the Mediterranean world. It was a seaport. It was affluent. Um, there were idols all over the place. I idolatry was just rampant. And the Corinthian believers who believed the gospel came out of that. But for some reason, they had trouble separating from that. Get that, huh? Have you had any trouble separating from your past? In your past life before Christ, I don't know, maybe you guys are exceptional. I know I have. I know there have been struggles along the way. And key to having victory in those struggles is how much we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. The more we love the Lord, the stronger we are in those wrestlings over the past. Well, the problem in Corinth seems to be that they didn't love the Lord their God enough to make that separation. So there's a, there's a phenomena when people are involved in sin, and, and I know this because it's true in me. What did Adam and Eve do right after they ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, which, by the way, was not in apple, grapes, or anything like that. We don't know what it was. But what did they do? They hid. They hid. I don't know about you, but when I get caught up in sin, I hide. The Corinthians got caught up in sin and they hide. Paul says, we opened our hearts to you, but you restricted your hearts to us. Well, the very nature of sin is that it is inward focused. The very nature of grace and salvation and life with Christ is it is outward focused. And so when the temptations and the sin are greater in the moment than the person's love for God, the, the outcome is just turning inward, and that's what they did. They turned inward, and we don't know what happened in there, if they opposed Paul or if they just simply didn't stand up for him. But whatever it was, it was devastating for him. Read some of the words that he uses in 2 Corinthians, especially in the next chapter. 
you know, it's, it's the, the people closest to us, it's the people that we love the most that can hurt us the most. If our relationship is very distant with a person, they can't really have much effect on us, but those that are closest. And I do believe Paul was very, very close to the Corinthians and that he believed they were very close to him. And it was very devastating for him. But it was because they would not separate from their past. They would not separate from this false teaching that was going on. Separation needs to take place. But it, I, I want to add something here because as I, as I thought about this, there's two errors that the church has made past and present. One is totally separating off and the other is not separating enough. And I think particularly when a person first comes to Christ, there needs to be separation. They, they, they need to learn to live in the new way in, in, in Christ and, and leave that stuff behind. I mean, even Paul, in his words, after he was converted on the Damascus Road, by the way, he did a nice job with that, uh, after he was converted on the Damascus Road, he spent three years in Arabia being taught by Jesus. Wouldn't you love to know what that looked like? But he spent three years. He was already thoroughly Bible-trained as a Pharisee. Can you, okay, I got things pop in my head. Can you just imagine, be Paul for a moment. You're on the way to Damascus. You're going to arrest these um, these, 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 these people and, and put them to death because they are worshiping this Christ and claiming that he is God and this light shines and you say, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus. Oh, can you imagine? No wonder it took him three years to process that. And to understand that and, 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 and see the scriptures that he had memorized from a youth in the light of Jesus as, as God. All right. So there is separation that is needed, but too much separation is, is not a good thing. And so ideally... A person separates and grows in maturity so that those things from the past are no longer a temptation. I went through 20 years of rebellion, and, and I'm a real cliche, the drinking and the drugging and, 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 and all of that. Um, <clears throat> but when I came to the Lord, he, he delivered me, actually, from the alcohol and the drugs almost miraculously. I wish he had done that with a whole bunch of other stuff but he did do it with the alcohol and the drugs. And so it's no longer um, a, a temptation for me. In fact, one of my activities in retirement is I play darts. And really the only places to play darts is in taverns and, and, and pubs and I play online and stuff and I, I won't go down that road, but I'm surrounded by people who are drinking and swearing and I have no temptation to drink or to swear. Amen, amen. But there would have been a period early on where that would not have been true. Okay. All right. Why the separation? We are the temple of God. 
We are the temple of God. The word that is used there is actually the word for the holy of holies. We are the holy of holies. The holy of holies was the place where God dwelt, lived with his people. God is everywhere, but he chose a place as a point of contact with his people in the the Old Testament. The holy of holies, the Ark of the Covenant and so forth. What Paul is writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that you and I are the holy of holies. And I want to emphasize plural. This is we. We, we. we live in America where I and me is prominent. But these verses are saying we are the holy of holies. Um, Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter. We are all living stones being built into a spiritual house. Again, plural. The Spirit of God inhabits every believer. But it is we together that are the temple, that are the body, whatever metaphor you want to use for that. We need each other in our relationship with God. Our relationship with each other is that we need each other. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, I will be there in their midst. There is something that happens when the people of God gather together. That's why we have this this morning. That's why we have other things through, throughout the week. That's why the book of Hebrews, it says, don't forsake the gathering together because it is we who are the temple of God, who are the holy of holies. And why is that? Because God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Something like this is sprinkled throughout the Bible. It starts in in Exodus, but it's actually seen way before that. God is the one who initiates. We respond to God. And God chose to make a people that could be his people that he could relate to. And it started in the Garden of Eden, and that went sideways, didn't it? But he had a plan and and a way to to make a restoration and a way back that ultimately came to Jesus Christ. But the reason we exist is God desires for us to be his people and for him to be our God. It always begins with God. Everything is a response to that. But because of sin and because of restoration, it says, therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. Again, we get this separation. The number one description of God in the Bible is holy. Yes, God is love, but more times it says God is holy, and he is holy in his love. And because he is holy, he can't abide, or that's, that, that's a seminary word. He can't live with unholiness. 
And at the fall, he would have been justified in just wiping things out. But he chose to take away that would ultimately lead to his own death, which is extremely ironic, in order to make the way back so that unholy people could still be his people. But again, it calls for the separation. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. What a picture. The holy of holies, the place where God dwells on earth, or the contact point for God on earth is us. But more than just being this building, utility kind of thing, we are sons and daughters of the Lord Most High. Relationship, family, relationship. Sons and daughters of the Lord Most High. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Paul has a pattern in his writings. You'll see it particularly in Ephesians and Colossians and some of those smaller letters, but, uh, and in Romans as, as, as well. This is who God is. This is who we are in God. This then is how we live. It's not about rules. Oh, he was keen on the rules as a Pharisee. He was zealous for the rules as a Pharisee. He knew all the rules and he was ready to punish the rule breakers. But when he came to Christ, his perspective got flipped. And he found out it was a relationship with the living God through the grace of God, through what Christ Jesus did on the cross and rose again to prove it. And this is what we're being called here. You know, some, sometimes when I, when I see one of these verses, you know, um, cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body, and it's like, oh, man, that's all up to me, and, and I'm not up to that task. Here's, I think, what makes it possible. It's a response. It's not a get to God, but we have gotten to God because he has brought us to him. And this is a response. The other part, I think it's, it, it's hard to obey a negative. Do not do. So here is the positive for this command. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. And whatever is not part of loving God, quit doing that. And just love him more. And if you're struggling with that, ask him to fill you with more love for him. And surrender. Stop hiding. Turn to him. He already knows all about it. He's not going to be surprised. You go, oh my goodness, I didn't, I didn't think Tim would do that. Whoa. I'm not sure what I can do. He already knows. He already loves us. One of the questions as a pastor, teacher, I've gotten 
number of times over there, way too many times, is how far can I go? Usually with sex. Usually with young people and sex. Sometimes with older people and sex. But how far can I go? How far is too far? Well, first of all, you know where that line is. But that's not the right question. The right question is, do I love Jesus more than this? If I do this, how will it affect my love for Jesus and for other people? That's where the line is discerned. And if it becomes loving Jesus less, then something needs to change. And if it requires separation, then separation needs to change. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because he first loved us. And he has called us to him to be his people and for him to be our God. My dear friends, let's love him. Let's love him. Amen.